If you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go back and at least listen to the introduction, because what we tried to do last week was just to show and remind ourselves of just how hectic our lives can become, uh, where we add in work and school and family and hobbies and church work and all these different types of things, and our lives get so, so hectic sometimes uh, and, and messy at times. And when that happens and when our schedules get filled, the things that we, try, we tend to push to the sides first are those things which are actually the most important to us. Our time with God, our time with our family, those things that remind us of why we are here, and actually those things that give us the strength that we need in order, in order uh, to make it through days and weeks and months as, as followers of Christ. And last week we talked about Sabbath and how we saw from the beginning pages of Scripture that God created Sabbath for us. And to Sabbath means just to stop and to delight. And that's what God did after he created. He stopped and he delighted in everything that he had made during creation. And, and, and then we see that he blessed the Sabbath and, and he, he sanctified the Sabbath. He set it apart as something holy, as something special, something to be cherished. And then he commanded his children to, to celebrate and to, to hold Sabbath because he knew that we would forget. He knew that we would get distracted. He knew that we would get busy. And we needed something to remind us, something to bring us back to stop and delight in all that God has done. And, and then we see in the New Testament that Jesus exampled Sabbath for us. He, who should have been uh, the, the most focused, who was the most focused person on the planet because of the task that he was brought here to fulfill, Jesus himself, Sabbath. And it set that example for his disciples and for us to follow after. And we saw in Hebrews that it's gifted to us, that there is still that Sabbath that we enter into. And we talked about how God Sabbath, he stopped, he delighted, how Jesus in, his, in, in, in the intensity of his mission stopped and Sabbath. And then the challenge was, the encouragement was for us to stop and Sabbath as well. Today, we're going to throw some more things, some more tools out there for you. Uh, today, we're going to talk about silence and solitude. Uh, so Sabbath, silence, solitude, uh, and next week, we're going to talk about peace but so that it fits into the S's, we're going to talk about it as shalom. But today, silence and solitude. God used silence and solitude to train up, to nurture, to mature his men and women all throughout Scripture. You can go back to Elijah and uh, the story of Elijah where uh, his task was to go and to stand before the evil, the most evil king and queen probably on the face of the planet ever and to get, deliver the message from God that they weren't going to like. So it doesn't say this in Scripture, but because Elijah was a man and he had to go stand behind this ruthless ruling duo, you got to imagine his, his knees were knocking uh, and, and his, his hands were shaking as he stood there and delivered this message from God to evil king, evil queen. And he's walking back away out of, the, out, of the, out of the palace, out of the throne room. He's got, well, my head's still attached, right? Everything's still in working order. I can do this. And he kinda, he's swelling with confidence. I'm ready to tackle the world. Uh, what, what's next, God? What's the next big task you have for me? And where does God lead him? To the wilderness by a stream. We're not even, he didn't even see men or women. He, birds bring him food and the, 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 the stream brings him water. And that's where God 
takes him right after this big event to ground him, to help him rely on God even more. But in this series, we're trying to focus on the the practices of Jesus, uh, the Son of God who came to teach, to train, to set into motion uh, the the, the plan uh, to redeem the world through his disciples, through the apostles, through the church. So is there something, is there an event in the life of Jesus that shows us silence and solitude? Resounding yes. In fact, not just an event or a few events, but it was a rhythm in Christ's life. Let's look at this. Let's look at this rhythm as we we do a survey sort of uh, of three of the Gospels and just looking at Jesus uh, in in those Gospels. In in Matthew chapter 3, at the end of that chapter, we have this amazing, this glorious encounter where Jesus is baptized. And man, that would have been cool to be there, to see uh, the Son being baptized, the, the voice of God coming from heaven, and the Spirit descend as a dove. That would have been cool to witness, to see the Trinity there, all the, right there, in, in, all in action at the same time. And so at the end of chapter 3, we hear this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, I want you to picture for just a second that that idea, that that practice of baptism, and picture how we do it here with the baptistry uh, pulled out a little bit, and when when that person comes up out of the water, there is applause. Grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles sometimes come and, and celebrate with that. Even if they don't attend our church, they're here to celebrate that momentous occasion. Sometimes there's gifts That family, after they get some hugs, after the final amen, uh, they're off the lost truncus to continue the celebration. And there's just this, this, everybody is excited and everybody is happy. But here, as we, Jesus comes up out of the water, as we hear the voice of God, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. In verse, in chapter number four, verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. No lost truncus, no gifts, no special meal at home, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, this idea of wilderness, uh, some versions of the Bible may, may say desert. This is not necessarily a sandy, hot, barren place. Hey, several times, I mean, we, when we look at the, the uh, Israelites wandering through the wilderness, it wasn't always sand. Right? There, there, wasn't at all, there, was, there was different terrain, but this word, we need to step past, step out of our understanding of it. This word, Greek word, eramos, right, can mean several different things. It can mean wilderness. It can mean desert. It can mean deserted place, desolate place, solitary place lonely place, or my favorite, my favorite, quiet place. It can mean all of those things. And there's a lot of stories in the gospel about Jesus seeking out Eremos. And we see it over and over and over. I've read this story several times, many times. And my mind always goes to, of course, Satan attacks Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness. Because I try to think of, I try to put Jesus in my shoes rather than myself in Jesus' shoes. And I try to think of just how I would be after four days of fasting in the wilderness. And, and I mean, I would be weak 
right? Uh, I would be exchanging sandals and anything else for a cheeseburger or anything else, and I would be weak, weak, weak. But over the last several months, as I read this and I dig into this, I don't see this as a period of Jesus' weakness anymore because I believe it's only after this amount of time with the Father was Jesus powerful enough in his manliness to order to stand before Satan. Forty days with the Father gave him the power that he needed to go against Satan. The, the wilderness isn't this place of weakness, it's a place of strength. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and because he was there, and only because he was there, was he at the height of his spiritual power. So after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet, he had the capacity to walk out, to face Satan, to walk out and to begin his ministry. And that's why I think following the trend of Scripture, over and over and over, we see Jesus seeking out and going back to Eremos. There's Matthew. Let's flip over to the beginning of Mark. When you go over to Mark, the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark 1 is essentially a chapter long, a long chapter about Jesus' first day on the job. It's a marathon day. He was, if you read through that, and I encourage you to do that, slow down and to read through it, but it's a marathon day uh, where he was up early. He was teaching in the synagogue. He was healing Peter's mother-in-law during lunch break, and then he was healing the sick, and he, he, he was taking care, he was freeing the demon-possessed. And you know that after all of that, he had to have been exhausted. But as you read along in verse number 35 of Mark, the next morning, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Desolate place, Eremos. Tony Foreman would have been sleeping in. Right? Would have been getting up and having brunch with the disciples that were around him at that time. But Jesus gets up early, and he goes out to Eremos. For silence and solitude, to pray to the Father. Right? Uh, so let's let's back up a little bit. For a month and a half, Jesus was in this quiet place. Right? He was in silence and solitude. He comes out of that and he he's back in Capernaum for a day, and it's a full day. And then the very next day, he wakes up and steps back in to that Eremos. This becomes a, a, a very obvious pattern in Jesus' life. You, you can look and you can keep reading there. Um, people's reaction, like they go out and everyone's looking for you in verse 37. And, and then Jesus said, well, let, let's go. Let's go to the, the next town. As you walk through uh, the scriptures, now you quickly see that this is a pattern in Jesus' life. Seeking out time to pray. Seeking out the solitude the secluded places. Flip over to Mark chapter 6 for another example. In Mark chapter 6, uh, the disciples are dead tired after a few works of just hard work. Um, and we read uh, that in verse number 31 of chapter 6, 
Mark chapter 6, uh, the apostles returned to Jesus, this is 30, and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Desolate place, Eremos. Jesus is now trying to get his disciples, his followers, to, to jump into this pattern, this rhythm of his life. We see them get, uh, there's a little bit of a hiccup there because all the people who come out, uh, they, they, they want to be fed and they, they try to send them away. And uh, with the equivalent of today's happy meal, Jesus feeds thousands. But then right after that, we see Jesus stepping away to pray. It was a pattern in his life, right? Let's flip over to Luke. Let's just get one example from each of the synoptic gospels here before we move on. But in, in, Luke, chapter, um, in Luke chapter 5, well, actually, in, in Luke, that no less than nine times we see Jesus stepping away into Eremos, into silence, and to solitude. And in Luke chapter 5, uh, the gospel of Jesus is, is spreading um, and pe- more and more people are coming to him to be healed of their sicknesses. And then they're banging on Jesus' door. But in verse number 16, we see that in the midst of all this demand for Jesus' time and attention and healing and teaching, in verse number 16 of Luke chapter 5, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Desolate places, church by now, Eremos. Jesus sought that out. In Luke's gospel in particular, the busier and busier and busier that Jesus went, the more and more and more times we see him retreating into Eremos to pray and spend time with God. For us, usually the opposite, isn't it? The busier and busier and busier we get, the first thing to get shoved to the side is our quiet time with God our prayer time with God. The first thing to lose is our unhurried time where we just sit with God in quiet to pray, to read a psalm, to spend time with our Father, to take an inventory of where we are and where we need to be to let our souls catch up uh, to our bodies. But in seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet place, not less. Um, So silence and solitude. Let's just think about those for just a second. Silence, first of all. In, in silence, there are two aspects to silence. There's external silence and there's internal silence. And it's much, much easier to take care of external silence. Right? We can separate ourselves from the noise. We, we, if you're a hunter, if you're a fisherman, you go to the mountains, you go to the woods. If you're a farmer, you go out where nobody else is around. We all have quiet, we all should have quiet places that we retreat to. It's easy to shut things off. If you're in the car, it's easy to poke the button on the radio and just be in the silence. Internal silence, (laughs) that's a completely different monster. As we lay down to bed, we think of something. What What do you do? What do I do? Roll over and grab the, the, the notepad by the bed. How many of you have a notepad by the bed? We're in church, you can be honest. How many have one by your, by your lazy boy, your recliner? 
right? Uh, in, in, in certain areas in, 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 your, in your life, you, you just, if, you, if something pops into your head, you got to write it down because our minds are constantly going, they're going to the speed that, uh, that we, are, we are constantly shoving things out of our mind because we keep plugging, piling more and more stuff in there. We are constantly thinking about stuff. We are thinking about how that conversation ended at work and how we wish we could have done it differently. We, we're thinking about uh, the, the, what we have to do in the morning when we get up and to get their kids ready for school and to get ourselves ready for work and uh, doctor's appointments and all this. We are constantly, our minds are just going all the time and there's all these voices that are, and things that are just running through our head. And it's Im- almost impossible for us to turn off that internal noise. That's why I believe it is vitally important for this to become a practice. We don't just see one time in Matthew where Jesus uh, retreated to Eremos. No, we see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we even see it in John where all of these, where he just gets away because it had to be a rhythm for us to, to, to clear our mind, to, to, to hit mute on the, and have internal silence. It takes commitment. It takes repetition. It takes, it takes practice. It takes nurturing for us to be able to have internal silence. External, relatively easy. We can control that. Internal, it takes time. It takes that sitting with God, that that over and over and over for us to finally be able to reach that. And silence, external and internal, um, that best happens in solitude. And we can control that as well to varying degrees. I mean, uh, 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 parenting, especially little itty-bitty ones, makes that harder to find solitude. But we can all create solitude. But solitude does not mean isolation. I want, I want to make sure that, that because we are alone, it does not mean we are isolated, that we are all by ourselves. The two are worlds apart. Solitude is engagement with our Father. Isolation is escape. Solitude is safety. Isolation is danger. Solitude is, is how you open yourself up to God. Isolation is hanging a target on your back so that you are easy, easy prey for the enemy. And solitude is, is when you set time aside to feed and water and nourish your soul, to let it grow into health and maturity. Isolation is what you crave when solitude is missing. We recommended a book last week, and it's in the one sheet, John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I don't like to read like paragraphs to you generally, but he has a section in there that I think is just beautiful and powerful. So if you would, I would like just to share his words with you this morning about this idea of silence and solitude. And he's warning us about what happens when we don't practice that. When we don't practice this Jesus soul habit, we reap the consequences. We feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality via a podcast feed or a book or a one-page devotional we read before we rush out the door to work. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identities and our callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. This sense that we are always behind, always playing catch-up, is never done. Then we get exhausted. We wake up, and our first thoughts are, already? I can't wait to go to bed. We lag through our days, our low-grade energy on loan from other stimulants of choice. Even when we catch up on our sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. 
then we turn to escape to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy to do what's actually the life-giving for our souls. Say prayer. And instead we turn to a cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media, our social media feeds, pornography. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls. Then emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from a boss, a snide comment from a coworker, a suggestion from a spouse or roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers. We bark at our kids. We get defensive. We sulk. We feel angry or sad, often both. These are the signs and symptoms of a life without silence and solitude. On the flip side, here's the alternative. We find our quiet places, a park down the street, a reading nook at home, a morning routine that begins before the little ones are awake and we come away. We take our time. Maybe it's not a full hour, but we're there long enough to decompress from all the noise and traffic and stress and nonstop stimulation of modern society. Sometimes all we need is a few minutes. Other, teams, other times an hour isn't enough. Other times we're grateful, we will gratefully take what time we can get. We slow down. We breathe. We come back to the present. We start to feel, at first we feel the whole gamut of human emotions, not just joy and gratitude and celebration and restfulness, but also sadness and doubt and anger and anxiety. That's just how it goes. We face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our own hearts, our worry, our depression, our hope, our desire for God, our lack of desire for God. Our sense of God's presence, our sense of His absence, our fantasies, our realities, all the lies we believe, the truth we come home to, our motivations, our addictions, the coping mechanisms we reach for just to make it through the week. All this is exposed, and painfully so. But rather than leaking out on those we love the most, it's exposed in the safe place of the Father's love and choice. In our ears, we sense His voice cut through the cacophony of other voices, which slowly fade to the deafening roar of silence. And in that silence, we hear God speak His love over us, speak our identities and callings into being. We get His perspective on life and our humble, good places in it. Silence and solitude. We have to choose our path. There's only two real options as we come, come to this, but we have to choose our path. Uh, option A, we can choose to reject it. We can choose to gloss over uh, Jesus' exampling and, 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 and putting that example in front of us to adopt. We can, we can make excuses. We get sucked into the rat race and face, face emotional unhealth at best and spiritual oblivion at worst. Or church, we can recapture it. We can take the precedent, the example, the gift given to us by Jesus and practice it and experience life with Jesus. Last week, we talked about Jesus and the Sabbath. And we talked about how God's Sabbath, the creator of the world, stopped and delighted in what he had created. The savior of the world practiced Sabbath. He stopped and rested, delighted in time with his Father. 
And we, cho- we too should choose to Sabbath. This morning, we see that Jesus practiced this seeking out of Eremos, this, this silence and solitude where he could connect with his Father. Jesus practiced Sabbath. He looked for silence and solitude. Should not we too seek those same things?